I'm going to read God's Word together from the book of Isaiah, chapter 30. Um, the background to this, it, just in a word or two, is that God's people are again concerned because Assyria is threatening them, their enemy. It's already destroyed the northern nation of Israel, and the people of the southern nation are trying to work out what to do, and so they seek an alliance with their traditional enemies in Egypt. And here is the Word of God. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my Spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for Pharaoh's help, for, sorry, to look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will, not be, will, will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in zone and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, those are two Egyptian towns, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of Negev. Though a land of hardship, through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message and relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found. For taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You say, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. And the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord 
longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are the all who wait for Him. Amen. And thanks be to God. We're going to read now from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, the story I told before, reading at verse 38. As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said. But Martha was distracted by all the the preparations that had to be made. She came and asked Him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not taken away from her. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word. I want to start this sermon by saying this. Falling asleep is definitely allowed. If you fall asleep, it's fine. Why is that? Because the purpose this morning is not to learn about Isaiah, although you might. It's not to work out what King Hezekiah was doing in 700 and something BC. It's not even to learn the truth of Christian theology, although I hope there's some of that here. It is that you might hear the Word of God and you might rest in His presence and be refreshed in His Spirit and know His love. If the sermon helps you do that, that's fine. And if it doesn't and you just want to close your eyes and be in the presence of God just now, that's fine too. I want to start by giving you this verse that comes out of quite a troubling chapter actually, where God simply says this, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. And I'm quite sure as I put that up this morning, there's some folk who need to hear that. You need to hear that word of, that, that, that word of peace and that word of strength. It is No, no, not at all. You know, somebody gave me a little uh, message this week that said, I'd rather have a church full of noisy children than a church that was dumb and quiet. So we really want to thank parents for for, for risking that uh, and welcome. But you know, the thing with this verse is it's really quite countercultural, isn't it? Because we have learned that we are saved by what we do. And not just saved in the sense of, of, of theologically saved, but, but, but in everything that we do. We work hard. Our livelihoods are dependent on hard work. 
Productivity, industry, our society needs it. Our politicians are telling us all the time that we need uh, industrial growth, we need people to work, we need people to work harder so that there's more of an economy and we're all doing better and thriving. But we've also been told that status depends on being useful. So we tell our children, you need to work hard at school. You need to do, and if they're not working hard at school, what they do when they come home from school, we're sending them on more and more and more activities because being busy and, and doing things and having interests, these things are all important until I, most parents are running around daft, aren't you? After your kids all the time with all the things that they're doing. But that's our society just now. Status often depends on being busy and being useful. We think of virtuous people very often as being the busiest people. We are Martha. We are not Mary. We're always doing things, caring for people, working in the workplace, keeping our houses tidy, doing the tea if we're at church, wondering about the lunch. How many times do we come to church with a list of things and people we have to see and things we have to do? It's all busy, busy, busy. You know, I sometimes think where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The church turned around and said, come to me, all you're tired and heavy laden, I'll put you in a rota. That sense that we have status and we have worth because we do useful things, because we serve people in useful ways, because we have important jobs. Do you know, God did not make you to be useful. He made you to be loved. He made you so that He would look at you and say, that's my child, and I love them. But here's the thing. You would have none of it. That's what God says to Israel in this chapter. I called you to be my people and depend on me, and I, I, I wanted to give you peace, but you would have none of it. What's going on here? There's a crisis. We've moved a few years on since the last passage we were looking at. The Assyrians have actually destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, of, of Israel and carried off its people, and Judah in the south is in panic and fear. We have to do something. We have to find a solution. We have to save the situation. And I wonder that we know what that feels like when things start going wrong and there seems to be a problem. We have to do something. You know, you've been there? You're sitting around, you're flapping about because you're trying to think what it is you're going to do to turn this situation around. What is it we need to do? Unable to sit still, frantic activity, plans one way, plans the other way, tries to get it through on the internet, checking out stuff. All the things that we begin to do to sort it out. And that's part of our modern culture, isn't it? If there's a problem, I'd better be able to fix it. And if I can't fix it, I better phone somebody that can. The message from God is simply this. Trust me, rely on me, and rest in me. The passage starts with saying, woe to the obstinate children. That note of woe means these people are going to be stressed. And they're going to be stressed because they're not hearing God's call telling them to trust Him. Now, in one sense, they recognize there's a problem. And that's not a bad thing. They recognize that they need protection and help and refuge, but the problem is 
that they, when they realize they can't do that for themselves, they look around for a helper, for an ally, for someone to come to their aid, but they're not looking in the right places. You know, sometimes God puts us in places where we cannot cope in order that we might learn that we are not our own saviors. And yet we have made a virtue, have we not, of being able to cope. I I don't need to be a burden to anybody because I can sort it myself. I can have my own support network so I don't ever need to ask for help. Or if I do need to ask for help, I'll go and find my own help. I won't turn to the Lord. And the call is to be the quiet souls who trust in Him. Do you know sometimes coping is overrated? It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to have a solution or an answer. And there's maybe some of you that need to hear that today. Anyway, they have a plan that they put in place, and it's quite an easy plan. They're going to go down to their traditional enemy, Egypt, and get help from the Egyptians. And so, they've sent ambassadors down to Egypt to meet them in those Egyptian towns. But they have another plan, which is to get a lot of money and put it on some camels and donkeys and sneak it through the desert so that the Assyrians won't find it on their way down and bribe the Egyptians to come to their help. That's what's going on in verses in 6 and 7. Carry the riches on the donkeys' backs, the treasures on the humps of camels. But the Lord says that you will find this help that you're looking for to be unprofitable. And I like this bit at the end. Rahab is just a code word for Egypt. And the Lord says, it's Egypt that do nothing. That's what I call her, Egypt that do nothing. So it's like Donald Trump when he gave names to people, abusive names. Well, that's sort of what's happening here. It's Egypt that do nothing. It's not going to do anything to help you at all. Egypt is a paper tiger. And the thing with paper tigers is they seem to give you security. They seem to give you protection. They seem to give you help, but actually they can't deliver. And all of us have our paper tigers, the things that we are investing in that we think will solve all our problems and make us secure. For some of us, it's our savings or our pensions plans, or our work, or whatever we do. For some of us, it's the NHS. The doctors will solve it. They will be our help. Science will find a solution to the world's problems. For some of us, it's booze. All of us have somewhere that we're going, and some of those things are not bad things in themselves, but we are looking to them to make everything okay. But you know, the one thing are, as good as our NHS is, as good as our Western economy is, as good as our scientists are, and I don't want to diminish any of these things, they are never going to guarantee your security. There are no guarantees of long-term peace except in the one sure foundation, which is the Lord. You know, one of the most popular songs today. It's not a new song, but I've heard it played at so many services over the years, and it's written by a very famous theologian. I'm, of course, talking about Frank Sinatra, but you know that, that song that everybody sings, My Way, isn't it? I'll do it my way. 
I'll sort it. I don't need anybody's help. Certainly don't need God's help. And I, I notice that that, that, that is, is said so often, and, and it's sung so often. I even hear Christians really liking this song, but have you listened to the words? And particularly that, that last verse of it where it says, what is a man or a woman, what has he got? If not himself, he has not. It's just me. Not the words of someone who kneels, but let the record show I took the blows and did it my way. This is an atheist anthem. I'll not be someone who kneels. I'll not be someone who comes in prayer before God and says, I can't do it. My ways don't work, and I need your help. Can I, can I just say, folks, even you're listening to, to music, even great music like this, and I, I'm not knocking the music at all, listen to the words with a Bible ear. What are you hearing? Is this the gospel, or is it actually something that very, very, very much is not. Eugene Peterson put it a different way. He says, there is moments when nothing is precisely the gospel thing to do. We come and we say something must be done, and sometimes God is saying to us, just come in silence and trust me. But we are building houses busily, constructing words, constructing worlds, and the truth is very many of us most of the time are burnt out and stressed out by all these things. We're always feeling, and I know I feel this in what I do, I'm always frightened I'm going to be letting somebody down. So I try to do something else and try to do something else because if I don't, I might be letting someone down. And again, a reminder, God did not make you to be useful. He made you to be loved and to love. He made you to have a relationship with, here, with Him. You know, there is a, a terrible message in this psalm, in this passage, because God says to His people, you've heard my call to trust me, but what you've done is you've, you've gone your own way, and you've done it your way, and you've made your schemes, and you've made your alliances, not by my Spirit, but with what made sense to you, and you've not paid any attention to me. And you know what's going to happen next? The whole thing is going to come crashing down on your heads. As sure as anything, this wall is going to burst that you're putting up. This house that you're building is going to fall down. Verse 16 says it particularly. Oh, I've lost verse 16 here. Okay. Verse 16 says, where, where, where they say, we're going to flee on horses. We've got strong horses that we can get away from our enemies. And God says, no, 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 no. The horses are going to catch up with you and you're going to fall. And the truth of this story is, just to give you a little bit of historical background, within a few years, Egypt that they were looking for help from did not only not help them, its own army came up and besieged Jerusalem until Hezekiah got the message and realized he had to call out to God. Verse 17 is particularly powerful. It says, a thousand will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. 
It reminds me of an old joke. You've probably heard this joke. But um, King Edward's army were crossing into Scotland to get the Scots. And they crossed the border with 20,000 men. And as King Edward's army in all its might came across the border, at the top of a hill, there was one Scotsman. And the Scotsman shouted down to the English army, Come on, I'll take you. King Edward thought, what is this? So he, he, he sent a squad of, of a dozen men up the hill to get the Scotsman. The next thing he heard was a sound over the hill of, of, of fighting. And one English soldier came staggering back. All the rest were dead. And he says, it's a trap. And then he dies. So they, they, they go a bit further into Scotland. And, and yet again, a Scotsman on the top of the hill says, come on, I'll take you. And, and King Edward thinks, right, I'm wise this time. I, I'm going to send a thousand soldiers to get him. No chance. A thousand soldiers go up the hill. Big noise of battle. One comes staggering back and says, it's a trap. And dies. They go a bit further. Scotsman again at the top of the hill. Same guy come on, I'll take you. So King Edward sends 19, the last 19,000, so it's just him and his, his, his aide de camp that's standing there. All the rest go up. Noise of battle. One lone man comes back and says, it's a trap. There's two of them. <laughs> now, you've maybe heard that. But that's, in a sense, within the words of, of this last passage of the passage, a thousand will flee at the threat of one at the threat of five, you will all flee away. What's he saying? You can build your big army. You can build your big army. You can find your solution. You can recruit your allies. You can do all this lots. And you know what? You're still going to be scared. And you're still going to fail. If it's all about you and your strength. Because there is nothing in this world, nothing that can make your future secure. And that's the message of the gospel. There is nothing that can make your future secure secure. There is always, even Sinatra sung on it, the final curtain. What is left when it all falls apart? When it is like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, a banner on a hill, and the image there is of a battlefield where everything is gone and all that's left is the standard of the soldiers that were fighting and have been killed. You know, this is the message of the gospel at its heart. Because the gospel says something that is incredibly disarming to all of us. It says, the stuff we do, the work we do, no matter how religious, no matter how moral it is, will not give us security. It will not determine our eternal fate. It will not promise. We can build our elaborate modern scientific worlds. We can have industrial growth. We can turn our economy around and do wonderful things. We can have our NHSs and all those things, and they're all good things. But they will still leave a people, a human people, that have no security in themselves. For only that which God gives us that we rely on can grant that to us. The gospel message says to us that we can look all of that in the eye and realize that nothing we do in the end has any merit. But then the good news, and the good news is despite all of that, despite the fact that we are bigger failures than we ever thought we might be, we discover we are utterly loved 
And God our Father longs in the giving of His Son to give us all the security and assurance and salvation and healing and promise that our souls so badly desire. After that terrible verse 17 comes this last verse. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on Him. I think in our days, sometimes we need to be willing to do less and pray more, strive less, and trust more. Realize that we stand on Jesus and that alone.